Good morning, fellowship family. How are you? Yeah. Well, I'm going to invite you to stand. I was going to do something real quick this morning, just a quick welcome. We were going to go into the first song. It's going to be great. But um, I was telling the, the crew, the gang this morning during rehearsal, you know, sometimes I pull up on Sunday morning early, get ready for rehearsal, and um, I kind of feel pressure or weight. I get nervous uh, sometimes because, you know, we want to do good. We want to lead people well. And, uh, but this morning I pulled into the parking lot and I was just excited. I was just excited. I was just thinking about these songs we're going to sing. I was thinking about Jesus and everything that he's accomplished on our behalf. And I just was grateful. I was just grateful. I was thankful. And I was excited. And so I told, I told this crew, I was like, you know what? Let's just worship Jesus for everything he's done and everything he's doing. And let's take the weight and the pressure off of us. We don't have to do it right, you know. We don't have to do it perfect. Um, we're just gonna worship the Lord together, amen. And so we're gonna start out with a song. It's called, Oh, Praise the Name. It just, first words are, I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. And the cross worked, amen. Aren't you glad that we can stand here totally forgiven, totally accepted, totally approved of because of the finished work of Jesus Christ? And when we think about the love that our Father displayed through His Son and our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ, when we comprehend that love, when we meditate on that love, that love has the power to cast out all fear, amen, of any kind of anxiety, any fear of condemnation. We are okay, and it's because of Jesus, amen? All right, let's sing together.
fun. All right, so uh, let, me, let me be a little confrontational this morning. Is everybody ready for that? When is somebody going to talk about the Super Bowl? We're not going to talk about it with songs. That's not going to work. Singing it, it just doesn't do it. But I will say, I'm going to just let my eight-year-old do it for me. So my eight-year-old son has a prophetic word for everyone this morning at Fellowship Rogers. Are you ready? 49ers. Did you just boo my eight-year-old son? I looked at him this morning and just said, hey, you got a word about this game? And he gave that to me, and I paused and said, buddy, we live so close to Kansas City. Why don't you like them? He, like, boos the screen when Kansas City's playing. I don't understand it. And I said, why? And he gave me three actually good eight-year-old reasons. It may be good for adults, too. He said, one, they traded away my favorite player because Tyreek Hill is so fast, and my son wants to be fast. So they traded my favorite player that he doesn't get why they did that. Second, he looks around, and everyone's wearing the gear, and he's like, I don't want to be like everybody. I'm kind of annoyed by all this. Third, the best of all, he has two sisters, and they sing Taylor Swift loudly <laughs> every single day on the way to school, and he's done with it. He's done with it, he go, and they, they pan to Taylor Swift. He's like, I'm out. I don't like these people. So today's word, 49ers. <laughs> but that's coming up, 530. You're going to have community with friends and family. You're hopefully going to eat some chips and queso and do some apps, and you're also going to just have fun together. And so enjoy the Super Bowl day, but we're here for some other reasons that I would say are more important than that. We'll do that later. But also, I am someone that gets the opportunity to talk about something that I truly believe in a lot, 
my wife and I lead a lot of pre-married couples that are seriously dating or engaged, and they're trying to figure out this next season of life in their relationship. If you are one of those couples and you would like to be a part of Merge, I'm telling you right now from the stage, like you gotta sign up between now and Wednesday. So if you're seriously dating or engaged couple, or if you're the grandpa or grandma of that dating couple and you want them to do it, send them a text today. Or you're the mom and dad, or you're a sister or friend. So if you would like to be a part, it starts next Sunday, and we are gonna have some great mentor couples that for eight weeks are gonna do life and give great content that's about a marriage that is honoring to God, and it's about two becoming one. If you are getting an A plus in conflict and communication, do not sign up for merge. You just already got it figured out. Uh, if you are, you got an A plus and you don't need any help on how to navigate the other parents and in-laws, do not sign up for merge. If you already have like finances and budgets and stuff all figured out, do not sign up for merge. Uh, if you have spiritual intimacy and, men, and emotional intimacy and you feel like you get that figured out, do not sign up for merge. For everybody else, sign up for merge. Anybody still need that? I don't care how old you are, how long you've been married. Do we need all that stuff? Yes? So merge is something to help with relationships. And so please sign up. The next thing coming up is if you're a man and you're here this morning and you just think that it would be important to connect with other men, and we're gonna talk about the words of God, we're also gonna talk about life. And that's gonna launch March 5th and 6th. So if it's Tuesday, you're a Springdale person and you wanna go to Springdale, at 6.30 a.m., March 5th, hang out with some men there. Starting March 6th, on a Wednesday, if you're Rogers and you wanna do it at our campus, at the Lodge, come here at 6.30 a.m. Um, if you would like to talk to me after the service about my son's predictions for today, I will be right out there. If you, I'll bring my son in on this conversation. Two, if you would like to talk about merge, please come find me. Um, we start, we launch next Sunday. And then if you would also like to talk about men's stuff, I would love to talk about that. Um, also, because we're doing the, the, we're talking about the life of David, we just thought we would talk about the Psalms with men. So we're gonna go through Psalms and take a Psalm each Tuesday or Wednesday on Springdale and Rogers men together and just talk about the Psalms. And we're gonna worship together and do community together. So merge, men's, my son's predictions, that's what we got going on right now for our announcements. But I will say, all of that, I want you right now to push that to the side, shut it up, put it over here, and I would love for us just to pause, and let's just get our brains and our minds in a place where we can just worship the Jesus who has completely transformed our lives. Amen? Like, completely. We were old, self, and now we're a new creation. That's a miracle. That we have the opportunity to be sitting here right now is a miracle because we wanna worship the creator of the universe. So can I pray for you? Like right now, what I wanna pray for you is that you will release everything that might get in the way of you worshiping Jesus right now. And I'm actually gonna ask you to do something. As I pray, I want you in your head and talking to God just to say this. I need to release this right now because it is a distraction. And just say, be gone. Just do that right now. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, 
there are things right now in my mind as I think about the last two days and as I think about the next two days that are distractions for me right this moment. Please just take those things. The sin that so easily messes with us, whatever that one is right now, for you, for me, just take that. Whatever relationship, disconnection that's going on, with you. God, just, will you just take that? God, we are the body of Jesus Christ. We are your sons and daughters, and we know that you care a lot about us right now this morning. And so I just pray that you take everything out of our mind and out of our heart that is troubling this morning, remove that so that we can just have a great moment of worshiping you, moment of receiving words that we need to hear. Release it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ has
stand with us, singing out one name upon our
Thank you that you invited us into this kingdom that will last forever. When everything else fades and fails, Lord, we know that we are safe and secure in Jesus. And so, Father, whatever we have going on today that might be overwhelming, help us lean on you. Lord, you are our help, you are our comforter. Give us wisdom today.
pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. My name is Mickey. If you don't know me, I'm a part of your staff here at Fellowship. We want to make you aware of something. Uh, in the next few weeks, you may be asked to sign a petition that's going around. It's uh, being passed around by Arkansans for Limited Government, and you are likely to be told that, uh, or asked if you would sign this petition to uh, limit government overreach and health care in Arkansas. And all of us are good with limiting government overreach. But the sole purpose of this amendment is to get, uh, this petition is to get the abortion amendment on the ballot. Uh, you can email me. I'm happy to send that to you so that you can read it. That's the only thing that it's about. And that would happen in November. If they get like 90,000 signatures, then that will go on the uh, ballot this fall. And it would take us back to a time where abortion, uh, the uh, legalization of abortion would be worse than it was before. Now, this is not a political issue. This is a moral and an ethical issue. If our, our government said it was okay to steal, we would stand here in this room and say, no, it is not okay to steal. It's against God's moral law. And so we're saying to you, just be aware of this. Be aware, decline to sign that, and just know that that's out there right now because you could be uh, tricked into signing this. Well, let's change gears from there, okay? Change gears. Remember the good old days when we called fouls on ourselves? You remember that? You play playing basketball and you didn't have a referee. And if you foul somebody, you would just stop and raise your hand. Remember when people used to raise their hands when, when they fouled someone? But that's changed today. You're not going to hear tonight in this ball game. You're not going to see one of the players say, hey, you need to throw a flag. I just held that guy. In tennis, it's, that was on the line. In baseball, it's, that wasn't a strike. I was safe. It's a part of gamesmanship now, it seems, to argue with the referees, to believe your point, to try to intimidate the referees to get your way. Ruben Gonzalez in 1985 was playing in a national racquetball tournament. He had never won a national tournament before, and this was his chance. He hit a super kill shot. The umpire declared that it was clean. He'd won the tournament. But Ruben turned around to his opponent, reached out and shook his hand and said, Good game. He overruled what the umpire had called because Reuben knew his ball had skipped off the floor. When asked why he did that, he said, it was the only thing I could do to maintain my integrity. In 2010, Brian Davis, a professional golfer, was playing in a tournament and he was playing in sudden death playoff against Jim Furyk. A lot of money was on the line. He had never won a pro tournament before. He made an aggressive shot to the green and it went left. It landed in a sandy area where there were reeds all over the place. And as he prepared to make his shot up on the green, his caddy said, careful of the reeds. 
Well, he hit his shot. It landed on the green. Everyone applauded. But Brian just stood there. Because out of the corner of his eye, he had seen something move. No one else saw it. You can go back and watch the video. He, he called the official over. And he said, I think I may have hit a reed on the way back. And sure enough, on slow motion video, they watched it again. And he barely clipped a reed. It may be moved that much. It was a two-stroke penalty. And when it was confirmed, he walked up on the green, shook Jim Furyk's hand, and told him, good game. He lost almost a quarter of a million dollars with that call on himself. But what he gained was far more important. He made the statement later on that honor and integrity are just words. I want to get this right. Honor and integrity are, are only words. But when they become actions of our own accord, they reveal our true character. And then there was Sarah Tukowski. She was a little five-foot-nothing college softball player. And she hit the first home run in her life. She said she didn't know how it happened. That ball just came off the bat. She hit a home run in this college tournament. As she rounded first base, she realized that she had missed the base, and so she pivoted and went back to touch it. And when she did, she tore her ACL. She crumpled to the ground and crawled, crying, to the bag. Her coach realized that they couldn't substitute a runner and went to the umpire and said, what do we do? He said, I, I don't know. They couldn't help her around the bases. She was just stuck. Then Liz Wallace, the shortstop, went to the umpire Oh, Liz Wallace from the opposing team went to the umpire and asked, could they help her around the bases? And she and Mallory Holtman reached down, picked her up, carried her around the bases, and touched her left foot on each bag. In that act, they lost the game. When asked why they did it later on, Liz Spencer said she hit a home run. She deserved it. Acts of sportsmanship. Not only sportsmanship, but honor and integrity, both in sport and in life, are incredibly important. Last week, David faced a giant, Goliath. But this week, he faces another giant, maybe more formidable than the one he faced Last week, the book of Samuel contains so many incredible stories. I love Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles because of the narrative and the stories they give us. First Samuel takes us from the birth of Samuel all the way through the death of Saul. Samuel picks it up, chronicling the kingship of David through the time when David will purchase the threshing floor of Aruna, where the first temple will be built. Today, it is the Temple Mount. It's the place where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. I mean, so much history, thousands of years of history right there on that mountain. And that's all chronicle for us in First and Second Samuel. Beginning Samuel 15, we 
find out that, that Saul had disobeyed God and God rejected him as the king of Israel. He was devastated. He wept. He fell at Samuel's feet and tore his robe in the process. And even though forgiveness comes, the consequences of our actions still remain. And the kingdom would be torn away from Saul. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and he was tormented by an evil spirit. But it's interesting to me that even when the spirit of the Lord was with him, he found a way to make poor decisions. After having been anointed by Samuel to become the future king of Israel, David was summoned to serve Saul by playing music for him to soothe his tormented soul. As David grew stronger and more popular, especially after killing Goliath, Saul became jealous and sought to kill David, to take away the competition. In 1 Samuel 23, 24, we find Saul pursuing David in what is reminiscent of an old Wild West chase scene there in the desert, in the Judean wilderness. Read it. Let's look at it. 1 Samuel 23, 26 through 29. Picture this in your mind, okay? And Saul was going along on one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. The chase was on. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, come quickly. The Philistines are raiding the land. And then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Selah-Helemikoth. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Let's look at this chart on the fall of Saul and the rise of David. Saul, the Holy Spirit was removed and an evil spirit was given. He was jealous and treacherous. He attempted to kill David. He was a failed holy warrior and the kingdom was torn away from him. David, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He was a faithful friend. He protected Saul's life, which we'll look at today. He was a mighty, holy warrior. And remember that David is a warrior. And next week, we will talk about the kingdom being promised to David forever. On two occasions, David is going to be given the opportunity to kill Saul. We'll read the first of those today. But he doesn't do it. Why? It's because David acknowledged the sovereignty of God and recognized Saul as the anointed king of Israel. David did not put himself in the seat of God. Well, this just makes sense. He's chasing me, trying to kill me. I'll kill him first. David didn't do that. He didn't put himself in the seat of God. He was willing to yield to God's will and timing. Isaiah 55, 9 says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't always understand God's ways. We are limited and finite, but we have to trust his sovereignty. And that's what David did. He acknowledged the sovereignty of God. His ways are higher than our ways and recognized Saul as the anointed king of Israel. It wasn't time. It wasn't time for David to step in. And so he waited. Even though Saul is wrong in trying to kill David, 
David honors the authority that God has put in place over him. David knew his role. Sometimes we don't see God's plan. We don't understand his ways. But we need to remember that God has the right to rule. I did the funeral yesterday for a young man who was 36 years old. We can't help at those times but ask why. But we trust the sovereignty of God. Psalm 115.3 is one of the more revealing verses in my life. And I would encourage you to memorize it. It's really easy. It says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He has the right to rule. He is God. I'm not. And I have to trust him. So let's look at chapter 24 in verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. And so Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. I love En Gedi. It is a beautiful place. It's called the Spring of the Goats, the Spring of the Wild Goats, and they call it that because of the ibex there. I love the ibex. They are amazing animals. There on the cliff face, you will see them just hopping from rock to rock. I mean, just on, on the side of a cliff. They are incredible. And that's what they call it, the spring of the wild goats. Why are they there? Because of the water. The water. Let's get a, a little bit of a geography lesson here on Israel. Let's show you the map of Israel. You can see where Jerusalem is, and then you look north of there. That was Gibeah. That was Saul's palace. And then down here by the Dead Sea, you will see Engedi. Now, if you drive, you have to go to the top of the Dead Sea and then down. It'll take you about an hour and a half to get there. But as the crow flies, it's only about 25 miles from Jerusalem to En Gedi. But it's a drop. You drop about three quarters of a mile in elevation. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth. When it rains in Jerusalem, there are wadis that run from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea. And, and the water, you'll be down there and you won't even know it, but the water will just come in a wall through those wadis. I was there one time after the storm had blown through and, and the water came through those wadis and literally ripped the pavement off the roads. It, it destroyed all the trees and it washed six people out into the Dead Sea. It killed them. They'd been camping in the wadis. That's just how dangerous it is. And you can see that when you look at this cross section here. Israel is a part of the Great Rift Valley that stretches from the Beka Valley in Lebanon all the way down into Africa in Mozambique. But they call this section the Jordan Rift Valley. And you see the Sea of Galilee there at the top. And the Jordan River runs down into the Dead Sea. And I've marked in Gedi where it is. The Dead Sea. The lowest place on earth. You can't even get a sunburn there. It's so low. And then you see on the next picture, of more of a cross section, and you see these cliffs that we were talking about in 1 Samuel 23 a moment ago, how steep those cliffs are on either side. And you won't see much vegetation there at all. It's just a desert. That's why it's called the Judean wilderness. Let's look at the next slide. This is in Getty. If you're standing... And the southern part of the Dead Sea, and you're looking north, up along the shoreline at all those cliffs, you'll see one little spot of green, and that's En Gedi. 
One little spot. That's all the fresh water there is. And you can see the waterfall at the back. And you can imagine what it was like for them as they chased one another through that desert. They, they were after, uh, Saul was after David. What it was like for them to come to this refreshing waterfall. And the people of Israel still flock to this waterfall. There's a pool under it. And you can stand under that fresh water coming over the cliff. And to give you an idea of how big this place is, I have another slide for you. You see those people? You see the people down at the bottom to the left? That's how large this place is. And so there were a lot of cliffs in these rocks, okay? It's a massive, massive place. Are you still looking for the people? They're there. <laughs> They're up there, I promise you, somewhere. <clears throat> uh, well, let's go on. Verse 3. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there somewhere in those rocks. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And it means just what it says. He went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. They were hiding. And the men said, okay, now this is the one that gets you in trouble every time. I've been, when the guys say, when the guys goad you on. I don't know how many times my mother would say, if the guys tell you to jump off the river bridge, are you going to do that too? When the guys tell you, and he's got all his guys around him. And the guys said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wished. Just to note, we don't find that recorded in scripture anywhere. Maybe God did say that, but it's not recorded. So they goaded David into doing this. And David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He actually sneaked up behind the Lord's anointed and extended a knife toward him. Remember that. Revenge is sweet, isn't it? There's that carnal side of us that really likes revenge. Don't get all holy on me now. You know you like that too. Don't let that halo get in your way. I mean, we, the sweet words to us is, I'll get you back. But the sweeter words are, I got you back. We like revenge. We tend to wallow in it just a little bit. Whether it's a biting word or whether it's an action it tastes just a little too sweet for us. But Romans 12, 19, Paul reminds us, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And he's quoting from De Deuteronomy 32 and 35. It's the Lord's to get back. But David had taken this into his own hands. Verse 5. Afterward, David was conscious stricken. The Hebrew word there literally means that the spirit within him struck him. Like, what are you doing? He was conscious stricken. And, and, and I can just imagine David standing there with a corner of that robe in his hands, thinking, what did I just do? 
The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. We know that from earlier passages. And that Spirit of the Lord spoke to him in that moment. And he thought, what have I just done? And he said to his men, the Lord, Yahweh forbid, Yahweh. Whenever you see L-O-R-D in all caps, that's Yahweh. I am. I always was. I am. I always will be. Yahweh forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him. For he is anointed of the Lord. And with, with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. David is broken because of what he's just done. And then, Samuel, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord. He's trying to kill David. He says, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him. You see, David's still behind. When Saul turned around and looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He wasn't worshiping Saul, but he was showing due respect for the Lord's king of Israel. I'm not sure I could have done that. Someone is seeking to kill me and I bow down and recognize them. I mean, you, can you relate to what I'm saying? But you see, that's what the spirit of the Lord is there for. We are told when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior that the Holy Spirit comes in and abides in us. And he's just not sitting back in a corner quietly. He leads us and he guides us if we will but listen. It's not a matter. We don't have to pray, Lord, would you please guide me? Oh, no, he's going to do that. We just need to pray, Lord, would you help me listen? Would you help me listen to you while you are guiding me? Will you make me more aware of your presence in my life? What David does here is moving. David said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered me, you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. You can just hear David. Why are you treating me this way? See my father. He calls him my father. See my father. Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down like an animal. You are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. David's making a commitment. I'm not going to war with you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. And then look at David's view of himself. He said, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Five times in that section, David mentions 
the Lord. The Lord. And he places everything in God's hands and not his own. He understood that if vengeance were to happen, it would be the Lord's to dispense. I can imagine at this point that there was silence. As they stood there between those two cliff faces and just looked at one another. Then Saul's voice echoed in the canyon. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept. He wept aloud. Here he is, the king of Israel, before his men, one who stood a head taller than anyone else. He was the one who looked like a king, and he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. If ever there was an understatement, that was it. Pause for a moment. Is there anyone in your life that you could say that about? Just let's be honest for a second. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. Is there someone in your life that maybe you've treated them poorly? And you need to make that right. Just say, you know what, that was bad. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. You feel so clean if you do that. It's hard sometimes to get over the hump and admit that we were wrong. You've treated me well, but I've treated you badly. Saul goes on. He said, you have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? Saul realizes the gravity of what's just happened. David could have easily taken his life. May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and that kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. You see, Saul understands the sovereignty of God too. He gets it. He gets it. He asks him to preserve my name, preserve my family. He knows this day is going to come. And so David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home back to Gibeah. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. And that was most likely Masada, which is just south of Engedi. So how do we bring all this forward 3,000 years and apply it to ourselves? First of all, we need to recognize and bow in humility before the sovereignty of God. Nothing about that has changed in the last 3,000 years. God is still on the throne and we are still under his rule. We need to recognize and bow in humility before the sovereignty of God, recognizing that he's on the throne. Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases, and it will always be right 
and just. We may not see his purposes this side of heaven, but we don't have to. We don't have to make sense of all of it. We just need to trust. We need to trust the sovereignty of God. The second thing, if, if revenge is in your heart for any reason, vengeance, then you're likely being controlled by bitter, bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. But remember this, revenge, unforgiveness, anger, bitterness only harm the vessel in which they are contained. You may be mad as you can be towards somebody and they may not even know it. And you're just stewing over this. You can't sleep because of it because you're so angry and, and bitter and frustrated. But the only person it's harming is you. So I would say to you, let it go. Let go of the rope. A few years ago, there was a Disney movie, Frozen. And my little niece got a little microphone that had a button on it. And when you push that button, it just said, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. All Christmas Day, that button. <laughs> let it go. It's something that, that a girl's sister will give her sister's children, you know, that makes noise all day long. I'll never forget that. But if you're hanging on to something that you need to just let it go, let it go. Let go of the rope and forgive. Forgive. It doesn't mean that you will necessarily be able to physically forget that action. But what you're doing is saying, you know what? I'm not going to live with the consequences of that action any longer. And I'm not going to hold it against you any longer. I'm going to let go. You'll live so freely and so lightly. And if you need something to push you in that direction just a little bit, then remember this verse, Ephesians 4, 32. Paul told the church at Ephesus, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. We have to forgive because we have been forgiven. You know, David, we're going to see in studying the life of David that he made some pretty big mistakes. But in this instance, he got it right. He got this one right. Would you just take a moment and reflect on these things? If there's someone in your life you need to forgive, and, and keep this in mind, there's nothing in Scripture that says Forgiveness of someone is dependent on their asking us to forgive them. You won't find it. We're just told to forgive. If there's something out there you need to let go of, let today be the day that you set yourself free. Think about that.
If you would like to pray with someone this morning, the Campbells are in the prayer room. Even if you don't need a prayer, they're just delightful people and they'll encourage you. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, as we leave this place today, we see David facing another giant. And Lord, we can really relate to this one. We can relate to our tendency for revenge and vengeance and unforgiveness, bitterness. But help us realize, Lord, that uh, although we tend to see life in our own sphere, it's just better if we realize that we live under your sovereign hand. Oh, Lord, help us to act like we've been forgiven. Help us to remember that you have paid the price for our sins, past, present, future. That you have declared us righteous before you, even though we don't deserve it. We thank you for your mercy and for your grace. And so let us walk forward from this place as forgiven people who extend your forgiveness and your grace to others. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you, everyone.